You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Chapter 6, The Age of Responsibility. Case 5, Ray Anderson and Interface. I stand convicted by me, myself alone, not by anyone else, as a plunderer of the earth, but not by our civilization's definition. By our civilization's definition, I am a captain of industry, in the eyes of many a kind of modern-day hero. This is how Ray Anderson, founder of Interface, one of the world's largest manufacturers of carpet tiles, usually starts his speeches these days. It is a far cry from where Anderson, now in his 70s, started out. An honours graduate of Georgia Institute of Technology, who after 14 years at various positions at Deering, Millican and Callaway Mills, set about founding a company to produce the first Freelay carpet tiles in 1973. The company was formed out of a joint venture led by Anderson, between the British company Carpets International and a group of American investors. Modular carpet tiles grew in popularity, and by 1978, interface sales had reached $11 million. The company went public in 1983, and in 1987 changed its name to Interface. All this growth and success, to sales of around $600 million by 1993, took place pursuing a conventional industrial strategy. Green issues were simply not a big thing in the first 20 years of the company's history, but that was starting to change, especially with the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio, shining a spotlight on sustainable development. Interface, like many companies at the time, got caught up in the ferment. By the summer of 1994, Interface customers were starting to ask difficult questions, Like, what is your company doing for the environment? Anderson realized that the real answer was, not very much. So they set up a task force to assess the company's worldwide environmental position. The group, naturally enough, asked Anderson to kick off their first meeting with an environmental vision. Anderson panicked. He didn't have an environmental clue, much less a vision. Synchronistically, Paul Hawkins' book, The Ecology of Commerce, had just landed on Anderson's desk. He devoured it and was shocked to find himself moved to tears. He still recalls the moment vividly. He had reached page 19, a chapter on the death of birth, which was E.O. Wilson's expression for species extinction. It was a point of a spear into my chest, and I read on and the spear went deeper, and it became an epiphany experience a total change of mindset for myself and a change of paradigm. What was his great revelation? He says, It dawned on me that the way I'd been running Interface is the way of the plunderer, plundering something that's not mine, something that belongs to every creature on earth. And I said to myself, The day must come when this is illegal, when plundering is not allowed, it must come. So I said to myself, My goodness, Someday people like me will end up in jail. In this moment of profound clarity, Anderson saw that carpet manufacturing is a pretty abusive industry. 
The process uses lots of petroleum and petroleum derivatives, both as components of synthetic carpet and to power its production. Dyeing carpet is also water and energy intensive, and when people are finished with the carpet, it goes into landfills where it lasts probably 20,000 years. Anderson concluded that his company, and business more generally, is part of the problem, not the solution. Paraphrasing Hawkin, he realized that there's not a single industrial company on earth, not an institution of any kind, not mine, not yours, not anyone's, that is sustainable. And so Anderson had his vision. Interface would become the world's first truly sustainable company. In fact, not only sustainable, but restorative. They would put back more than they take and actively do good, not just avoid doing harm. After the speech, Anderson recalls, I heard the whispers, has he gone around the bend? To which he replied at once that he had. That's my job, to see what's around the bend. Today, Anderson confesses, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, but it galvanized the task group, which after some preliminary research concluded that they could meet his goal by the year 2000. Filled with enthusiasm, Anderson's first move was to send a strong signal to the market. He held a green the supply chain meeting with a simple message. Those who come with us will get the business, those who don't, won't. The following year, 1995, he pulled together an eco-dream team and introduced a system of eco-metrics designed to quantify the metabolism of interface, in other words, the mass and energy flow through the company's operations. Simply put, eco-metrics assesses how much interface takes in, in terms of materials and energy, and what comes out in the forms of product and waste. Later, Interface also implemented a system of sociometrics to measure impacts on their people, the associates and communities they serve. Inspired by their new vision and metrics, in 1995, Interface started innovating their products, first by launching an evergreen lease, which they described as selling carpet without selling carpet. This was based on the idea of selling a service rather than a product. Hence, Interface produces, installs, cleans, maintains and replaces the carpet for customers. Customers lease the service of keeping a space carpeted rather than buying carpet. They get the services of a carpet's warmth, beauty, colour, texture and acoustics. Interface saw it, and rightly I believe, as a whole new sustainable business model. By 1996, Interface had learned enough to conceptualize what they were doing in a model of a sustainable company. The next year, their definition of sustainable received added scientific rigor when they became the first company to adopt the natural step principles, which are four system conditions developed by Swedish cancer researcher Carl Hendrik Robert. In 1998, Interface issued its first sustainability report and formed a global sustainability council, while Anderson published his business biography of the journey so far, which was called Mid-Course Correction. The company's product innovation also continued, with the introduction in 1999 of their Déjà Vu collection, a carpet tile product using recycled nylon and 100% recycled vinyl secondary backing. 
Despite all this great progress, which many described as revolutionary, as the millennium approached, it became blatantly obvious that their restorative company goal was far more ambitious and difficult than Anderson or the environmental task team had ever imagined. It was time for a reality check. The journey to a fully sustainable interface would be, as Anderson began to describe it, like summiting a mountain higher than Everest. Difficult, yes, but with a careful and attentive plan, not impossible. So rather than change the goal, they changed the time frame. The new deadline for mission sustainability became 2020. Carrying through the analogy, Interface identified seven fronts on Mount Sustainability through which they planned to ascend. First, eliminating waste. Second, generating benign emissions. Third, using renewable energy. Fourth, closing the loop on production. Fifth, using resource-efficient transportation. Sixth, sensitizing stakeholders. And finally, redesigning commerce. Among the tools that have become central to the climb are life cycle assessment and biomimicry, which is Jane Benyus's idea of nature-inspired design. These techniques have not only allowed Interface to choose the lowest impact options among existing processes, but also to innovate new products that are less resource and energy intensive and produce less waste. One of the first, in 2000, was called Entropy Tiles that install non-directionally and have mergeable die lots. This concept launched what became Interface's I2 category, with the benefit that one person can install more than two and a half times as much I2 tile in one day as they could of a broad loom carpet. Besides this, I2 floors result in as little as 1.5% waste, compared to broad loom with as much as 14%. Other product innovations have included the cool carpet, which offsets greenhouse gases, as well as carpets that use fly ash waste and polylactic acid fibers, derived from non-food grade corn. Perhaps most famously, in 2006, Interface invented the world's first totally glue-free, free-lay carpet tile called Tactile, which was inspired by gecko foot technology. The result is less mess, less waste and greater savings, not to mention an environmental footprint that is over 90% lower than carpets using traditional glue adhesives. In 2007, another technological breakthrough, dubbed Re-Entry 2.0, means that Interface can now recycle, or re-inyarnate, reclaimed and separated Type 6 and 6.6 nylon, as well as separated glassback and similar competitive backings into new non-virgin PVC carpet tile backing. This has been somewhat controversial, as there are some, including the authors of Cradle to Cradle, who argue that PVC should be phased out completely. Anderson's response is that the world is awash with PVC and high-performance natural alternatives are still in their developmental infancy. Hence, for now, it is essential to reclaim and reuse the PVC rather than simply to bury or burn it. Taking stock in 2010, Anderson's ecometrics tell him that they are about 60% of the way towards what Interface now calls Mission Zero. In other words, 
to have no negative environmental impacts by 2020. Translated into numbers, the results are impressive. Of the £400 million of raw materials purchased in 2009, only £3.4 million of waste went to landfills, £6.9 million of raw material was recycled to be used again, and £9.6 million of waste was sent to energy recovery as a last-use resort. Continued savings from Interface's Quest program have netted $433 million in cumulative avoided costs since 1995. And Re-Entry 2.0, Interface's Reclamation and Recycling Initiative, diverted £25 million of reclaimed carpet and post-industrial scrap from the landfill in 2009. It has been a long and painful but ultimately rewarding journey. Anderson reflects on the transformational challenge that Interface faced and that we all still face when he says, The status quo is a very powerful opiate, and when you have a system that seems to be working and producing profits by the conventional way of accounting for profits, it's very hard to make yourself change. But we all know that change is inevitable as part of business. Once you have ridden a wave just so far, You have to get another wave. We all know that. For us, becoming restorative has been that new wave, and it's been incredibly good for business. Admittedly, Interface had a tough time through the financial crisis. Who didn't? They lost as much as 85% of their pre-crisis value in early March 2009, but they have since rebounded strongly. In fact, Anderson regards their zero mission as one of the reasons they survived and ultimately thrived through the recession. It's hard to bet against what has become a billion-dollar corporation, named by Fortune as one of the most admired companies in America and one of the 100 best companies to work for, with sales in 110 countries and manufacturing facilities on four continents. Anderson can't help but see the opportunities, saying... I believe there are new fortunes to be made as we define this, the next industrial revolution. He is quick to add, however, that it's not all about the money. He says, There's a lot of psychic income with people who feel that they are associated with something bigger than themselves, something that's important. But Anderson is also under no illusions about the scale of the challenge that we face. He says part of what needs to change is our focus on short-term horizons. In other words, the focus on the next quarter for both companies and for their investors. Sustainability, by its very nature, requires a long-term view of the future, as we consider the impact of our decisions today on future generations. A long-term view necessitates that we eventually cut the fossil fuel umbilical cord, And this is where Anderson believes the government has a critical role to play in creating what he calls an honest bottom line. By contrast, today that bottom line is vastly subsidized. If any one of us were paying the full cost of oil, our bottom lines would be very different. If you internalize the cost of oil, look at the cost of war in the Middle East or the cost of global warming for future generations, if you internalize those external costs that bottom line would look very different, whatever business you're in. And it's not just about carbon. 
If we somehow put a value on species extinction and factor that into our costs, the bottom line would look very different as well. If we put any resource depletion costs into the bottom line, it would change again. So what we have is a dishonest market that does not take into account all the costs when it establishes its prices. We need an honest marketplace before we can let the market work for sustainability rather than against it as it works today. It is clear that 16 years after creating his round-the-bend vision of Interface becoming a truly sustainable and responsible company, Anderson is older and wiser. Despite all the success and accolades that Interface has enjoyed, both financial and in terms of sustainability achievements, the piercing pain of the spear in the chest has not dulled for Anderson. He remains profoundly concerned, disturbed even, at the growing state of crisis in the world's ecosystems. Asked in 2010 whether he was optimistic about the future and our chances of reaching sustainability, he said, I'm optimistic that Interface will get there. I'm not optimistic that the industrial system itself will change quickly enough to avoid catastrophe. To me, Anderson's answer is both a celebration of what is possible, based on Interface's experience, and a warning of what is probable if we don't act more urgently and dramatically as a society and as business.